You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. You know, today we are continuing our series and we're talking about uh, how to stand in a culture that bows. Now, we've been in this series for quite a while for, you know, this is part five. Today, though, we're going to talk about one of the most popular stories in the Bible, Daniel in the lion's den. Anybody grow up in church and you had the coloring pages, you had the felt board? Anybody with the felt board out there? Come on, somebody. That's old school uh, kids' church right there, uh, learning about Daniel in the lion's den. We're going to talk about, though, how does this apply to us? And so here's what I want to do. Rather than just recapping the story, I actually want to take a few moments and read the story together. And then we're going to talk about how to apply it in our lives. And here's the title for today is simply this. How do we win in the den? How do we win in the den? Because I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, there's going to be trouble that comes in your life and in my life. There's going to be trouble. Jesus said that. There will be trouble, but take heart. Um, You're going to have trouble in this world. Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Here's what I want us to see, though. Earlier on in in the book of Daniel, and if you brought your Bible, you can go to Daniel chapter 6. Early on in the book of Daniel, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We see them, and then there's the idol that they are supposed to bow down to. They choose to stand. And at that point in their lives, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were about 14 years old, right? Super young. They were some young teenage boys. But at this point in the book of Daniel, Daniel is actually between the ages of 83 to 87 years old. Daniel's much older at this point, and actually the king that he is serving, King Darius, King Darius was actually the third king that Daniel would have been serving under at this point. So Daniel's been removed from his, from his homeland, from God's promise for them for a long time now, and Daniel's at a point where he's become accustomed to uh, living in a culture that is evil and that is wicked. How many of you know he's got favor with one king, and then that king dies or whatever happens, another king is raised up, and now he's got favor with this king, and continuing, he's had to fight some of the same battles time and time again. This is the third king that Daniel would have served under. But let's read the story, and then we'll talk about how it applies to us. This is Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says this, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interest. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers because of Daniel's great ability, or the New King James says like this, because of his excellent spirit. His excellent spirit. I love that. Uh, It says this, the king made plans to place him, Daniel, over the entire empire. That's a pretty huge honor. Let's continue reading verse 4. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Let's stop here for a second. So here we see Daniel once again proving himself because of his excellent spirit, which was God's spirit on his life. Obviously, he didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in him like we do, but God's spirit was with him and for him and anointed him in such a way he had an excellent spirit that even in a horrible situation, even in a place that was wicked, he was set apart, and he showed himself to be set apart time and time and time again. 
How many of you know when God begins to bless your life, you will have enemies? There's going to be people that show up that are jealous, that will try to find a way to tear you down. It's just, it's part of our human nature in a way that uh, our sin nature that we are freed from when we have salvation. There's a part of our human nature that says, no, you shouldn't be up there. I should be up there. And we try to pull other people down. This is what's happening with Daniel. So here's what they do. They go. And these administrators, they go and they sweet talk the king, right? They go and they say, all of us officers, all of us administrators, hey, we have come together and we said this, make a law to where no one can pray to anyone else except you for 30 days. Make it a law and make it a law in such a way that even you can't change it. They sweet talk them. But here's the issue is they lied to the king. They go and they say, all of us have agreed, all of your administrators, all the people that are working under you, hey, all of us high officials, we agree you should make this law. Obviously, Daniel would not have agreed to this. They've gone behind Daniel's back to do this. And so they go and they sweet talk the king. And if you read all of those verses, you can see many times, long live the king, oh, gracious king, they sweet talk him really good to where it sounds good for the king. And the king thinks to himself, well, if even Daniel approved this, it must be okay. It must be okay. So here's what we see. He signs the law in such a way that even the king himself cannot change it. No one can pray to anyone else or worship anyone else except the king for 30 days. And here's what we're going to pick up in verse 10. In verse 10 it says, But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and they found him praying and asking for God's help. What was Daniel's response? Not to hide in secrecy, not to stop praying, not to, um, not to run in fear or cower in fear. He's like, no, I'm going to do what I've always done. How many of you know Daniel obviously would have remembered at this point in his life what God had done for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I don't know if you know this as well, but the king would have remembered. Yeah, he's three kings later, but I'm sure in the lifespan of one people, that story would still be prevalent to what happened with these, these guys, God, these young men, these righteous men, their God protects them and stands up for them. So they go and they tell the king, your boy Daniel, he done messed up, right? <laughs> he's out there and he's praying to his God and not to you. So what are you going to do about it? You sign the law saying no one can do it. And if they do, you got to toss them into the den of lions, right? Not cuddly lions, but these lions that were kept at a brink of starvation. And it, the Bible shows us that time and time again, they would keep them there so that when they would throw people into this den, that the lions would literally rip the bodies apart before they could ever touch the, the ground, that's how hungry and starved these lions were. It was a, a horrible way to die. The king did not want to send Daniel to the lion's den, but he had to. His hands were tied because of the law. And so here's what happens. Let's pick up in verse 16. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and to be thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, look what he says to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Man, in verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and he spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and he couldn't sleep at all that night. He was tossing and turning, wondering what's going to happen. Obviously, right? Because he knew, well, Daniel's buddies, they'd been saved once before. So obviously he had to be thinking there's a chance 
that Daniel's still alive. Otherwise, he wouldn't be tossing and turning. He would have said, well, that's the end of Daniel. He knew there was a chance. Verse 19, very early the next morning, the king got up and he hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? And look at Daniel's response. He answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel New King James, that's a capital H. Some believe that this is Jesus himself. Just as he showed up, Jesus pre-incarnate showed up in the fiery furnace. He showed up with Daniel in the lion's den as well. He, and he, look, he, says, he says, he sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, in what? In God's sight first. And I have not wronged you, your majesty, twofold. The king was overjoyed and he ordered... That Daniel be lifted from the den, not a scratch was found on him, and he had, for he had trusted in his God. Not a scratch was found on him. Come on, that sounds familiar, right? They didn't even smell like smoke when they went in the fiery furnace. Not a scratch was even on Daniel when he was ordered out of there. Now here's what happens. The king, knowing that he had been tricked and deceived, he gathers all those boys up that tricked him into signing this law and lied to him. He gathers them, and if you read the whole story, their families as well, and they throw all of them into the den of lions, and they are destroyed before they ever touch the floor. Wickedness um, never prevails when it comes to God's people. Wickedness never prevails. Here's what happens. In this story, we see the opposite, though, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and this is what's interesting. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see that if you don't bow to our God or our idol, we're going to kill you. That's the threat. If you don't bow. With Daniel... It's you can bow to our God or you cannot bow to our God. We don't care. But you cannot bow to your God. If you bow to your God, we will kill you. You see how the enemy has just upped his game? Before, it's like, well, you, got, you have to bow to what our God, our idol. And now he's saying, I don't care about these, these man-made stuff that we've set up. Don't ever, you can't bow to your God. If you do, we'll kill you. Can I tell you, this same corrupt spirit, this same principality is at work in today's world. There's countries all over that that is exactly the case. You cannot worship Jesus or we will kill you. America is not exempt from this. Why? Because the spirit of the Antichrist has to make its way into our life in order for the world to accept it, in order for Jesus to come back. We're going to be approaching a time Man, there's going to be states and cities that do this before where this type of gathering is almost put to, if not, will be put to, hey, if you gather like this, in the name of Jesus, we will kill you. Do you see why it's important for me to come up here and not just give some feel-good message? Do you see why it's important for us to gather together and actually look at this thing and not just give you a great TED Talk? Okay? If you get entertained by my messages, that's a bonus. My job is not to entertain you, okay? So if you want to be entertained today, there's other churches for that that are doing fine things and good things. But for me, God's put on my heart to teach this clearly and boldly and simply in a way that we can actually put it and apply it to our lives, put some feet to our faith. Does that sound okay? All right, let's dive into it then. How do we win in the den? How do we win in the den? Here's what we see in the life of Daniel. The power to win in the den comes from the practice and the behavior outside of the den the power to win in the den when i'm thrown into it comes from the practice that i put in outside of the den 
It's that old leadership lesson that a lot of our military uses, that you never rise to the occasion, right? We like to say that, well, when, when crisis comes, I'm going I'm to rise to the occasion. That never happens. You only fall to the level of your preparation. You never rise to the occasion. You only fall to the level of your preparation. So when spiritual attacks come at me, when culture says you must bow, what level am I falling to? Do I have anything to fall to or am I, am I crumbling under the pressure of this world? Or do I have a foundation that I've put in place? I've been practicing in my preparation for the attack. I am ready to go to battle. I fall, but I don't fall very much. A lot of people, whenever the enemy comes, they fall and they crumble. And too many Christians are living their lives there, right? Whenever sickness comes or a bad report from the doctor comes, they don't have, they're not equipped, they're not ready It's like, well, I feel sick. I better go look up some healing verses. Rather than I feel sick and God's word says that by his stripes I was healed. So I'm going to take some communion and I'm going to meet this thing head on. Do you see the difference? I'm prepared for the battle versus I'm scrambling. I got to find my armor to put it on because I'm not anywhere close to being ready to fight this thing. We are called to be prepared for the battle. That is how we win in the den. Here's why that's important. When trouble comes, hear this, when trouble comes, if we don't know scripture, we don't know the heart of God. Let me take a step further. If we don't know the heart of God, we will question the heart of God. This is the phrase of, I guess it wasn't God's will, or God's will is a mystery. No, it's not. He told us to pray according to his will, which is his word. Right? So let me say this again. When trouble comes, if we don't know Scripture, we don't know the heart of God. And if we don't know the heart of God, we will question the heart of God. And that breaks the heart of God. I've given, he said, I've given you everything you need for life and life abundantly. Doesn't mean trouble's not going to come. Jesus said trouble will come. But when it comes, we need to respond in such a way that we don't question the heart of God. We fall to the level of our preparation, and we were prepared, so we're ready to step into battle. That is how we win. That's how we win in the den, in, in the short uh, summary. But let's dive into it a little bit farther. The first one is this, if you're taking notes. Reflect godliness in all that you do. This is very simple. Some of these seem very elementary, but can I tell you, this does not happen in a lot of lives of believers. Reflect godliness in all that you do. Let's look at Daniel first, then we'll talk about how it applies to us. Daniel 6, verses 3 through 4. It says, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way of Daniel's handling of the government affairs, but they couldn't find anything. Everyone say anything. They couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. This is the point right here. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. And here's the question for you today. Can my boss... Can my clients, can my customers, can my coworkers say that about me? That's the goal. That's godliness. He was faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. What do the people that I share my life with, what do they say about my behavior? Why? My behavior, my action is the fruit of my life. Jesus said you'll know if a tree is good based on its fruit. If I'm close with Jesus and I'm living, loving, and looking like him, this is a small piece of that fruit. 
Can they say that about me? Everyone wants to be promoted. Everyone wants to get the, the pay raise. But if, I, if, if people can't say this about me, why would my boss give me a pay raise? Why would my boss promote me? Why would God open a door for me to take over a part of the company or start a company and him bless it? Why? If I'm not doing my part. If I'm sleeping in and I'm not showing up and I'm, uh, I'm not showing up early, I'm not willing to stay a little bit late, I'm not having a good attitude. All of those are simple little things, Right? But we don't see it in today's world. We don't see it in today's world. It's so simple. And if we would do those things, God could honor it. So many times we think God's not opening a door for me. Well, maybe it's just because I'm being lazy. Right? right? Maybe I, if, I, if I could get my butt out of bed a little bit sooner, if I would actually show up to work with a good attitude, even if I hate my job right now or the position I'm in right now, if I would actually just show up, and be willing to be used by God to serve other people, no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm building a house or if I'm, uh, you know, an architect or if I'm, uh, shoot, if I'm working at Chick-fil-A, bread and chicken, if I would just show up with a good attitude expecting God to use me today, he will. But so many times we show up with a bad attitude and God can't do anything because we've tied his hands. Come on, somebody. He was faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. Let's look at Philippians 2. It says this. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Look at this. Do everything without complaining and arguing. If anyone had uh, an excuse to complain and to argue, it would be Daniel, right? Everything that this king is doing is against my God. However, what did he do? That's not what he did. They, find, they could find nothing. They can find anything to accuse him of. Uh, so verse 15 says this, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Man, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives. Am I living above reproach? At home, at work, at the gym, at the grocery store, if anyone watched me from a distance, am I living in a way that is honoring God or am I living in a way that people could say, well, yeah, but look at what they did here. Look at what they said here. Look at how they acted here. Look at what happened whenever this happened at work. Look what they said. How did they respond? When the world is bowing to perversion and darkness, it's our chance to stand out by living clean, innocent lives, our part. Ephesians 5 says this, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Hmm. <laughs> for, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God or of Christ. No immoral, impure, or greedy person. God can do a lot in our lives, but we still have a part to play, right? It's me submitting my life to him every single day. It's me crucifying my flesh every single day so I can walk in agreement with his words. His word says that he produces the power and the want to to live pure and to live innocent and to live clean. But if I'm not pursuing him first, he has no power to help me live clean, pure, and innocent. So many times we strive, we try to do it on our own, but God says, let me help you. Let my spirit give you the want to and the power and the ability to do it. So here's the thing. If I want God to bless me, promote me, give me abundance, I must reflect godliness in everything that I do. His word says that he will prosper everything that we put our hand to, right? 
Well, God can't prosper what I'm putting my hand to if I'm not honoring him first. Why? Because it's going to reflect bad on who? On him. God can't honor things that are going to make him look bad. He wants to honor things that glorify him. That's his entire goal. Let's, let's continue. Number two is this. How do we win in the den? It's simply this. Seek God consistently and without hesitation. Consistently and without hesitation. We're going to get practical today, everybody. Come on. Consistently and without hesitation. Daniel 6 and verse 10. Daniel just finds out the, the king signed the law. If you pray to anyone else, we're going to kill you. One of the worst ways, we're going to you know, have you mauled by a bunch of lions, right? It's not good. So what's Daniel's response? But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. With his windows open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he has always done, giving thanks to God. As usual, as he had always done. Do you see, Daniel was prepared for the den when he didn't even know that he had a chance of going in the den. He was prepared for the den before he even knew that the den was a possibility for him. Daniel prayed three times a day, every day, and it shaped and it strengthened his life through prayer. Through prayer. When trouble comes, we cannot afford to bow down. This is what it's showing us. We cannot afford to compromise and to comply to whatever culture is saying is okay. If it goes against God's word, it is not okay. No matter what culture is saying, no matter what is popular in today's world, it's not okay. It's not okay even a little bit. God's word is pretty black and white and it shows us righteousness from unrighteousness. And we're called to be holy as he is holy. We have to make pre-decisions and when we make these, if we don't, let me say it like this, if we don't make pre-decisions, we buy into the options of the world every time. We buy into the options of the world every time. So here's, here's what I'm saying. Daniel wasn't phased by the option to not pray because he had already decided to pray. He wasn't phased by the option. Well, you can't pray to your God. It's not an option. It's what I do. It's what I do. <laughs> It's a part of my life, so much so that I can't imagine even going in afternoon without praying and kneeling in the presence of my God. Do we feel this way about the other things with God? Do I feel that way about my prayer life with God? Can't imagine not going a day without praying in his presence. Multiple times, not just my verse of the day on my, my, my Bible app, right? For five minutes on the way to work. Here's what we see. Daniel was around 83 to 87 years old, right? So if he started praying when he was roughly 15 years old, probably before that, but roughly 15 years old, he would have bowed his knee more than 78,000 times in prayer that we would have known of. 78,000 times in prayer. And he knew that prayer gives God earthly license for heavenly interference. Prayer gives God earthly license for heavenly interference. God is sovereign, but he's sovereign to his word. <laughs> he said, if you will remind me of this, pray according to this, I can do this in your life. But so many times we make these prayers that are outside of his word because we don't know his word to back it. We got to back it. And when we do that, prayer gives God earthly license to, for heavenly interference to come. And through prayer, we're inviting God to come and to move. And so here's what we see in the life of Daniel. Consistency, this is an old saying, but I love it. Consistency separates winners from wannabes. 
So it is with our spiritual walk. Consistency separates winners from wannabes. And so it is with our spiritual walk and spiritual things with God. Consistency in my daily time with God. If I'm not consistent, I'm just playing a part. I'm not walking everything that God has for me. Consistency in my church attendance, right? We've talked about this all series long. Church attendance right now, average in America, is once every four to six weeks. That ain't going to church, okay? I hate to break some people, pop some bubbles or whatever. That ain't going to church, okay? Consistency, especially if we have kids for families, once in every four to six weeks is not going to church. That means that your kids is going to be at least half that when they are of age, when they go to college. They're going to be going once a quarter. We got to set a precedent to say this church is vital. Church is important, especially for the next generation. Gathering together with other believers, it's commanded by God for us to do. And if we don't do that, if we don't say, hey, to our kids, this is why it's important to gather together. This is what we do when we gather together. Then we are just a few generations away from losing the ground that we have taken in our country and in our family trees. It's our job to make sure that we are consistent in our things with God, consistently worshiping, consistently praying. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek, he said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Above all else, that's consistently Live righteously. What does that reflect? Godliness in all you do. That's what we see in the life of Daniel. And he says, if you'll do that, God will give you everything you need. If we will do that, seek God and live it out, he will give us everything that we need. But too often we limit God from working in our lives because of our lack of consistency and commitment. I want God to move miraculously. I want God to do all of these things in my life. But am I even consistent with my relationship with him? You show me a strong marriage, I'll show you a marriage that is consistent. Consistent in their communication, consistent consistent in their times when they say, hey, I love you. Consistent with giving each other a hug, consistent with going out of their way to serve one another without someone having to beg them or ask them time and time again to do simple things around the house. Show me a strong marriage, I'll show you a marriage that is consistent. Show me a strong believer and I will show you someone that is consistent in their relationship with God. Consistency separates winners from wannabes, and so it is with our spiritual walk. And here's number three is this. If we're going to win in the den, we must remember that God honors bold faith. And this is what pushes us outside of our comfort zone. God honors bold faith. In Hebrews eleven six, it says this. But without faith, it is impossible to please God or to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God honors bold faith. God's not looking for people that have timid faith. God's not looking for people that are striving under their own ability throughout their whole life, making their way on their plan and what makes them feel comfortable. Why? Because at the end of the day, who gets the glory? I do. If I live my life working in such a way that it's my plan on my time frame and what I've planned for my life, at the end of the day, when I look back and I say, man, I lived a successful life, look what I did. Rather than, there's going to be times in your life where God says, I need you to take a step of faith right here. 
I need you to get out of your comfort zone, and I need you to go lay hands on that person and pray for them, even though you maybe have never done that before in public, but today's your day. I need you to get out of your comfort zone and serve in this spot in your church. I need you to get out of your comfort zone and apply for this job. I need you to get out of your comfort zone and maybe change careers or whatever it might be. God's going to prompt you to do something that requires you to take a step of faith. Why? Because at the end of the day, he wants you to say, look what God did in my life. Can I tell you something? Can I be transparent today? On Sundays, I wake up with like a knot in my stomach knowing that I have to do this. I'm naturally an introvert. In, in college, I had a speech class. Man, I hated speech class, but I was that kid in high school and college that was, um, yeah, so here's uh, the thing that I'm, you know, I did a speech on golf balls one time at, in college and uh, it's the only thing I felt comfortable. Golf balls and golf equipment, I think it was. I can't remember most boring speech ever, but I barely got through it shaking and and trembling the whole time. But every time I get up here, before I walk on this stage, I say, God, I don't want to go up there unless you're going with me. And every time I walk off this stage and I see people receive salvation, I see people that were prayed for, I see people move, take a step in their faith, I thank God for using me. Not because I'm so great, because I can't do any of this on my own. I got a degree in criminal justice, okay? This is outside my comfort zone. But God asked me to take a step of bold faith. Bold faith. And God says, I can use and I can honor bold faith. And at the end of Hebrews 11, I love this. This is just a piece of the end of Hebrews 11, but let's read it together. Hebrews 11.30. It says, it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with, with the people in her city who refused to obey God for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Verse 32 says this, how, how much more do I need to say? I love this. It would take too long to recount the stories of faith, of Gideon, of Barak, of of Samson, of Japheth, of of David, of Samuel, and of all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice, and they received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire, and they escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and they put whole armies to flight. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What does it say? How? Through faith. Will we be the type of people that have faith to stand even when culture says, no, you must bow? Will we we be the type of people that have faith to say, no, culture says that that is truth, but I'm saying this is truth. Culture says my marriage should be this way, but I'm saying my marriage should be this way. Culture says it's okay if I do this and sleep with that person or hook up from time to time, but no, God's word says I can walk in purity and live a holy life. I'm choosing this. God can honor bold faith, but he's not looking for people who will tiptoe around and just kind of bow to culture whenever culture says you need to bow. He can't honor and he can't move there. We've tied his hands. He's saying, I can do amazing things if you will truly walk by faith. And it's going to require that you get out of the boat of comfortability. Whatever that is for you, whatever your comfortable boat is that you've been living in your whole life, Jesus is saying, come on, do you want to do the impossible? Get out of the boat, son. Get out of the boat, daughter. Trust me enough, and I'll let you walk on the water.
God gets the glory when we stand in bold faith, but we get the glory when we bow down and we comply to the spirit of the world. God's not looking for you to get glory. That's not our job. The whole job of us being here today is to glorify him. God gets the glory. I'll say it this way. God gets the glory when you get out of the boat. You get the glory when you stay in the boat. Why? Because the storm's going to come. And if you stay in the boat, you can, you can manage the storm and manage the sails and manage your life however you want and make it safely to land and say, man, good thing I was prepared and I knew how to run it. I survived the storm in my boat. I tried hard. Or you can say, guess what? It was storming, but I walked on water because Jesus said I could. I don't know what walking on water means for your life, but I promise the Holy Spirit's prompting you right now. You probably already know. What is that thing that you're supposed to step in faith to do, to start doing, to stop doing? The second thing with bold faith is this. Bold faith is contagious faith. Bold faith is contagious faith. In Daniel 6, 16, the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you, right? The new King James says it this way. He says, your God, whom you serve continually, look at this, he will deliver you. That's the, the wicked king to the righteous Daniel. Your God, he will deliver you. What's he doing? The king is reassuring Daniel, not based on his own faith, but based on the faith that he has seen Daniel live out. He's saying, I've seen it. I've heard the stories. Your God, Daniel, hear me. Your God will deliver you. And then he closes it up and he seals it for the night. The king was rocked by this, so much so that here's the king's decree to the rest of the nation at the end of this story in Daniel 26, 26. He says, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and he saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. That's our God. That's our God. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what den the enemy has tried to put you in or maybe you're living in today. But guess what? You may have lions all around you, but this is our God, the living God. His rule never ends. His kingdom never ends. He rescues and he saves his people. He performs miraculous signs. Do you need a miracle today? You can have it through Jesus. You can have it. God wants to turn even the most wicked person's mouth into a mouth that glorifies him. God wants to turn even the most wicked person's mouth into a mouth that glorifies him. You may be in a job right now that your boss is the worst, is a wicked person. Or maybe they're a believer and they're still the worst. Can we be real? <laughs> and you feel trapped. You feel like no one notices you. You feel like, you feel like you're not gaining any ground. Guess what? If you will do what Daniel did, these simple, practical things, God wants to turn even the most wicked person's mouth into a mouth that glorifies him. This king was a wicked guy. Wicked culture. Because what God always does, he takes what the enemy meant for harm and he gets glory from it and he uses it for what? Good. I can turn this around. Let me finish with this. In John 16, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. <laughs> I have overcome the world. In this world you will have trouble. Let's look at overcome. Here's what that word overcome means. Overcome means this. It is a victory 
rooted in the past that continuously affects the present and the future. Oh man, Jesus is so good. In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart. He says, I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Whatever is bringing trouble against you, guess what? Follow me. I will give you a victory that is rooted in the past. It's so rooted, it cannot be uprooted. It's so rooted, it cannot be changed. And that victory in the past, oh man. The victory in the past, it continually affects the present and the future. There's gonna be a den that I get kicked into maybe in a week, maybe in a year, maybe in 10 years, I don't know. It may come my way. Trouble's probably gonna come, is what Jesus said. But guess what? The victory that I know is rooted so deep in the past, it's rooted so concrete into the ground that the enemy can't touch it. My victory is present for today and my victory is present for the future. He says, take heart. You will face trouble, but he says, my victory is never ending. My victory is never ending. It's never ending. Man, how do we win in the den? It's really pretty simple. Our job, reflect godliness in all that you do. Live in a way that's so far above reproach that even the most wicked people want to promote you. Seek God consistently and without hesitation. When trouble comes, go right to your knees into the presence of God. Go right to your knees in the presence of God. Consistency separates winners from wannabes. The last thing is this. Remember that God honors bold faith. So though you may be taking a stand or maybe you take a step and it seems crazy, it may seem impossible, but if it's God-ordained, God will honor it. If it's God-ordained, God will honor it. Let me leave you with these reflection questions and the action step. The first one is this. Make it personal to you. What is God asking me to start or stop doing so I can reflect his godliness? Is there something in my life that I have not addressed yet? Is there something in my life that I should be doing, but I'm not in order to reflect his godliness better? Number two is this, am I consistent in seeking Jesus? Am I consistently in his word every day? Am I consistently in church and involved every single week? Am I consistently praying and worshiping him throughout my day? The last one is this. Do I have contagious faith? Really? Do people look at me, and even though they may be wicked, do they say, man, your God will get you through this? Has anyone seen the miraculous in my life because of I was just willing to take a step of faith? The action step is this. Become... (laughs) Become a habitual prayer warrior. Here's what I mean by that. I have a bad habit of biting my nails, my fingernails, okay? Leslie gets on to me all the time, especially in today's world, right? COVID, all this stuff. Everybody's hyper aware of germs in your fingernails and stuff. I got a habit of biting my nails. Do I pray as much as I bite my nails? If not, it's not a habit. What's your habit? I got a habit of popping my knuckles, right? Maybe that's you. Do you pray as much as you crack your knuckles? What's your habit? You praying that much? If not, we need to be. One pastor said it this way, look at your screen time and then look at how much time you spent in prayer this past week. Whoops, right? (laughs) Guilty. We need to become people that are dedicated to prayer. Prayer changes everything. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God of victory. Your victory is 
It's rooted in the past and what Jesus did for us. And now we get to walk in it. And Father, I pray that through this message, as we do our part in the natural, I thank you that you do your part in the supernatural, that you will move, you will heal, you will set free, you will promote, you will open doors where there is only closed doors. You will give us favor as we walk this out. I thank you that everything we put our hand to, that it prospers because we choose to take note from Daniel, to live righteously and to seek you consistently. And Lord, we're gonna choose to walk in bold faith. If you tell us to step, even if it seems crazy, we're gonna step we thank you that you're going to move. You're going to meet us right where we're at to do the miraculous. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.